You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. As promised in part one of our two parter, this episode is going to be strictly Modern Horizons 2 variants. And the reason we wanted to pick this was for a couple of reasons, obviously. Uh, first off, it was a master's set. Mm -hmm. It was a half reprints, half new, but it's a supplemental product. And one of the things they did with this was they introduced, this was like really the first set of a million variants. Retro etched, retro regular, expanded foil, expanded non-foil, sketch foil, sketch non-foil. Like there were a million versions of every card. Yep. And we wanted to now, with the gift of time, take a look at a set which admittedly had an incredibly high impact on Constructed. Not just EDH, but Modern, Legacy. I mean, how many cards are going to get banned? Obviously, I was wrong on the Saga pick. Ragavan was the one. But hey, anyways, in addition to that, it was incredibly well-selling. So kind of looking at it as a cautionary tale for what happens with Double Masters 2. Mm -hmm. uh, Double Masters 1 we didn't want to look at because of the ridiculous VIP booster fiasco where they just printed infinite extra product for people that, you know, had messed up packs that sent in UPCs, and that's not standard. Uh, MH2 hit a little bit of its stride with print runs in terms of, like, post-COVID recovery, sales, everything. We got a few waves of it. It felt like a traditional master set that just happened to have a million versions of every single card. So, what does that do to the value of them? Let's dive in. Yeah, so... Uh, from what I saw across the board, it stagnated uh, the price of damn near everything. Unless it was foil, retro, uh, rainbow, whatever. That one is officially like the offshoot. Yeah. Uh, where, because people just didn't like that. So the it, it basically just tanked the value of everything. And we still haven't really come out of the drag from that it's made things really accessible and made the fetch lands super accessible for a fairly long time i think it's still currently anchoring the price of blue fetches which i, I think is amazing and yeah. it basically allowed commander players to pick up the modern cards that they would need to play the format while allowing modern players to buy the cards they would need to play that format and nary the two should meet really uh, yeah. sure you have esper sentinel seeing overlap but ragavan not really Merktide, not really the um like sarah's emissary and like archon of cruelty yeah there's some overlap there but those are also extremely cheap still in in almost yeah. every variant and Aside from that, the only other thing that I've really seen Modern Horizons do for, uh, in kind of a negative space is just create ire for those that maintain skews per product because yeah. of the sheer number of possible variants and the foil treatment within. Otherwise, 
I think this did everything it needed to in regards to a master set, and I'm I was I'm super excited to see what the Lord of the Rings set is going to do, because that's going to be another straight to master set. It's terrible. I hate it. You just like Modern Horizons too? No, Lord of the Rings. I think that's real dumb. Oh, but, I hey. the universe is beyond. I have. I, I, I do not hold sacrosanct. I don't care. I, I like Kevin Smith movies are whatever, but in Clerks 2, the scene about walking is, is spot on. Whatever. Chasing Amy is a classic. Yes, it comes after. It comes before Dogma, though. That's like, fair. Yeah. Like that... af, after Dogma, they kind of go they, they go downhill real quick. But the like Lord of the Rings is just walking. That's all it is. I don't care. Yeah. It's three yeah. movies of walking. I mean, I just want to see what they do inside the set. That, that's what I, that's what I'm excited for, yeah. because we had Modern Horizons one come through and that like you know broke Modern in half, <clears throat> and yeah, it, among other things, some culprits still are at large, Ursa, and you you can see that they really did with Modern Horizons 2 what they wanted to do with Modern Horizons 1, and I'm excited to see what the next iteration did. So as a vendor, I'm super excited about that set, because Modern Horizons 2, because it just sold. It, it sells infinitely, yeah. and like, yeah, I might sit on some stock for a while of a lot of the B-list cards, because they're slow-moving, but Sealed is going to be gold, and Cracking when I need to is still going to be profitable. That set makes infinite. From an LGS standpoint, I imagine the issues are similar, where if you maintain individual SKUs, you have the same problem that a large vendor would. Yeah, that is fair. Uh, I I like this set a lot because for all the reasons I stated in the intro, again, my biggest issue is the number of SKUs. It is the fact that now I as a vendor, even outside of tracking SKUs, uh, as we'll dive into, some of these prices, the disparity between the variants is outlandish for what the cards are. There is no reason that they should ever cost as much or have as much of a disparity between them as they do. And it's strictly just because, uh, I guess, uh, one's more desirable, but not really because the liquidity is not there. It's it's just dumb. Mm -hmm. It's not good for the health of the game. That is a hill I am willing to die on. I, uh, I would agree that with that. Financial health of the game. I should say. Yeah, reskinning the cards is cool and interesting, but when you reskin them three times, four times in a set before you start counting foil variations, then yeah, it becomes a little Bad. much. Yeah. It it creates this weird glut on the secondary market, but at the same time it also does make things interestingly accessible. Um, so like up at the top when I'm when I was looking at this, I didn't consider extended art as a variant in this set at all because it wasn't unique to this set we'd seen extended art before for yeah. for years previous so i didn't even uh, look at that and like it's weird to say that of all the variations within the set it's this was probably the most blase of the bunch because yeah. all it, it's just it, extending the borders i don't think there's a single card that comes in all three variants extended retro and sketch no, I don't think so. Um, so it's not like you have that kind of choice to make for a lot of stuff, but you do have usually uh, retro or extended or extended and showcase, which is sketch or 
I don't know if anything comes retro in Sketch either. I couldn't find anything like that. No, nothing retro Sketch. Yeah. So when I was looking through this, I really looked at Retro Border because it was the second time we got this treatment, and it was actually in the set, like the main set, as opposed to Attack on Slot. And I looked at Sketch because it's the first time we saw that that variant. And that's that's how I came at this set. I came at the two unique pieces to this. I looked at it on a much more like card by card basis. So I, you know, I we each and set up for this. Neither of us knew what the other person picked heading mm-hmm. into this episode. We each basically targeted three cards. Uh, so what I did was because there was one peculiarity with the printing of this set that I really wanted to dive into and see if that made a difference. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that don't know, that's the retro frame non-etched foils. There are literally two versions of this just incidentally that are the same. Okay, one is done the traditional way that star foils used to be where the borders are foil and the art is not. So anytime you look at a retro frame on TCG, you get this disclaimer. Please note, due to printing inconsistencies, versions of this card can have either foiling over the entire face or foiling on only the borders along with foiling color variations for each. You may receive any variation unless specifically noted as a listing with photo. Uh, This is something that I didn't think would matter. Anecdotally, uh, at Star City Indie, I had a guy come up with about 30-ish retro border foil fetches, like, of each. And I was like, what's with all these fetches? Are you're, you're dumping them now? They seem low. And he goes, well, I needed two play sets of each that weren't foil in the art to match my legacy deck. Mm-hmm. I had no way of knowing what I was getting, so I just bought a bunch off of TCG Player. That matters? So I just wanted to dive in and see about that. Yep. Uh, and then I also took a look at basically, you know, there are certain cards that vendors call Japan cards. It's the cards that appear on 95's hot list. It's the cards that have an absurd premium overseas close to TCG low. Because the neat thing about those cards is the foils typically don't matter. They don't want foils. Okay. They just want the base version of the card. And I wanted to take a look at the different versions of that and what the disparity was between the foil and non-foil on those. So that was kind of how I looked at it. Uh, more as like peculiarities with the print run itself mm-hmm. and market tendencies. Um, and I just wanted to dive deep with those and see what we could figure out or what I could figure out. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I stuck with um, the sketch art and and retro. And yeah. I didn't really look into foiling for that issue. I didn't want to have to deal with that because I felt it could get pretty, pretty muddy. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know why I did it. But here we are. I, I, I'm not going to say it's an exercise in futility, but like, you know. Stupidity. Yeah. A bit of that. The the one thing I noticed though w- with uh, the retro non-foil and the showcase f- uh, non-foil is that the movement in comparison to the main set is basically the same. There's they remain flat at about the same price as the standard version for the most part, except for like Yavamaya, um, old border Yavamaya plays at like 1.5x market yeah. than the than the set but that has a lot more edh 
uh, utility than some of the other cards I was looking at. But that number is a rope, even the market. Yeah. But the main set number wobbles a lot. And that's what I also saw on the showcase variants. The sketch variants was the same thing. So while the... Um, sorry, for the, the set version of the sketch cards I was looking at. So while the sketch remained the same, which is probably the market is about where its uh, regular set comparison is, it was flat and main set wobbles. And it looks like people were just essentially buying out main set before they moved into some of these variants for the the B tier cards and that's kind of really where I stuck when I was looking at this. I figured if I was gonna stay and look at the A list cards, you know, fetches, mm-hmm. Yavamaya in this case, Archon of Cruelty, and like Caldera Complete, then Void uh, Voidwalker as well. I'll probably see similar movement across those cards, and it might be disproportionate to retro compared to set compared to sketch because all those cards go into legacy decks. Those cards go into vintage decks where people do have a lot of old border cards and it's just a more of a matching game than it yeah. is a personal aesthetic uh, choice. Fair. So so those are your three. Uh, mine were Ignoble, okay. Scalding Tarn, and Murktide. Ignoble being a card that I actually picked mm-hmm. coming out of this. Scalding Tarn kind of being that blue chip, blue fetch. This is the most liquid, most valuable, whatever. And then Murktide being the Japan card. Yep. Uh, and Scalding Tarn specifically was the one that I looked at retro foil and retro etched foil. Um, I With Ignoble, it was sketch and regular. Mm-hmm. Likewise, Murktide. So. I, I thought about Murktide when I was doing this. Um, the, the card that actually... So for, for the sketches, I have three particular cards I wanted to, to look at because... I figured, again, like if I go for this this A list stuff when it comes to to showcases, I'll let me bring this back up. It's like this list is weird. Let's see if this works. Yeah, it's like you have Saga, Esper, Sentinel, Merktide, like you picked up at the top, and then um, it jumps down to Archon of Cruelty, which I mentioned. Like these are the main players, Ignoble. Yeah. But I I went like just a step past that to Sarah's emissary, like another. Not premier card in modern, but this is like a it sees play yeah, tier two deck alongside Archon yeah. of Cruelty, and I looked at Thought Monitor, another card that has like some great sketch art, and yeah. that's where I noticed really quickly that it's just like okay, rope, you just rope, except for this little blip where it becomes really popular after Neo on Thought Monitor, yeah. But the set variation is just wild man the market on that is just freaking wild and the same All thing over yep and the same thing with, with sarah's Eris, emissary virtually flat at a at a zoom out and then you zoom in still relatively flat especially compared to the market of the the set version and i haven't run stock numbers on these but i'm gonna go ahead and say this is just a lot of people buying out tcg low they just kind of sawtooth this number and as a vendor, I think uh, this is a point in time where it doesn't matter what variant I'm looking at in a set and why I'm looking at it. I'm just going to let my buy list speak for me and not try and tune it. I don't think I'm going to try and force any particular variant, and I'm not going to hunt any particular variant the next time this happens. Yeah. Uh, I will say with Thought Monitor, Blip was because 8 cast. Yes, that, that's what I mean. Again, like right after legacy. Neo. Yeah, yeah, right after Neo when it hit. And I, I think it's interesting, too, with these variants. And I'll, I'll 
start with Scalding Tarn, just diving into the minutiae here. So this is a card that sees play everywhere. Modern, Legacy, Vintage, EDH. Uh, probably someone has it in a pauper deck because they don't know these cards aren't legal or banned, whatever. Uh, and is just hits the casual, competitive, the whole glut of people. So with the retro frame foils, uh, if you take a look at stocks, it's literally just a flat line. Uh, we're sitting at a foil market of around $80 for that. And for the etched foil, our market is literally half. Which was interesting because Modern Horizons 2 kind of went back to that Commander Legends style etched foil that people really liked for some reason. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really dumb and it was hideous, but people loved it. Uh, now, anecdotally, one of the most interesting things about this is that those etched foil tarns have a cheaper market price than the non-foil regular retro. Uh, which, if there's one thing we can tell, and I'm sure this will be true of every variant you look at in this set, etched foils are bad and you should stay away from them. Yep. Without fail, except the commanders from Commander Legends. And I think that's because, as a commander, I just want it foil. I do not care what I have to do, I just need it foil. And that's it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's the most affordable way to do it in some cases, or in many cases, the only way uh, to get it in foil. But what was really interesting was when I basically took a look at TCG Player, the liquidity on last sold, even on the back end, these are selling consistently, both versions, uh, which was surprising to me considering how bad the market value is on the etched foils. But, hey, you know what sells staples you know what i tell everyone and i've said a million times on this podcast i'd rather have a binder full of fetch lands or duels than just about anything else mm -hmm. if i had to pick a binder full of a card yeah so the really interesting thing to me was we're not seeing you know we're almost a year out now there hasn't been a real big spike on these cards on foil fetch lands in old border uh, and I kind of expect if after a Pioneer Pro Tour, we get a modern Pro Tour, that's when this stuff absolutely explodes all over the place. Mm -hmm. That's my, my guess. Yeah, there's been a, a bit of trepidation with no real way to play modern at a high level in paper. Why continue to buy in? And that's where everything kind of stagnates. Yeah, for, for sure. So, with the difficulty that is the retro frame foiling, and you come away with foil etched, the the variants, is that something you're looking forward to again as a main set offering compared to Time Spiral Remastered, which didn't have the the etched but had the retro frame as the time-shifted slot again. I think that Retro Frame, and I, you know, I love Starfoils. Uh, anyone that knows me in the vendor space knows I collect Starfoils. I love them. Uh, I offloaded some of my sets. I still have a few sets left in Starfoil. Uh, man, I would sure love if we didn't get cool Retro Border cards every single set. I would sure love if we didn't get cool full art basics 
every single set. Please stop. I love them. Yep. I just want them to stop. Yep. That's actually why I filed them under something I dislike because this was a retread compared to time spiral. And it was, it's, it was an interesting experiment to put it in packs to see how well things sell, if they can, uh, you know, move the marker on anything. And I'm sure they absolutely did, but the handling of the foils creating an unnecessary variant seems like it was a bridge too far for a lot of people to, to cross and so you see kind of let me let me verify this one but i do believe the regular scalding tarn it's flat but it did take a quick run yeah compared to the, some of the other ones it dips it pulls back and now we're flat right yeah. so we're we still haven't seen a kind of rebound i would expect from the set version but as far as like local demand like anecdotally I don't think anybody's really cared about anything retro frame frame really, unless there was a purpose behind it. Yeah. I want it to match the rest of my deck. It's got to match my cube, whatever. If yeah, whatever the case is, there is an intent and purpose here to this. And that's what matters. The other thing I'm worried about is that we might see, just this big divide come in somewhere in this stock of cards where if it matters, it matters and and holds a price because of that and everything else just kind of dwindles away and rots, which is fine. But now you're wasting this retro treatment on so much trash that it loses its appeal. Yeah. That, that was the other thing I worried about with the retro frame treatment in the main set compared to the time shifted slot within time spiral and it doesn't feel like it was mismanaged but it feels like it could be mismanaged if they just keep throwing it at us yep i and you know i again i love it when it's cool and nostalgic and not being jammed down my throat the point is you don't try they're trying oh absolutely but I don't know how I'm going to feel about the sketch art in Double Masters 2, but the reason I like the sketch art here is because this is provenance. You know, this is yeah. first to market. Uh, the color palettes on these, on a lot of them, look really, really interesting compared to the main set counterpart. Like, there's a lot to enjoy here, and if they don't treat sketches similarly, there's a chance that the rest just fall off into obscurity, and the next time we have this conversation, for me, sketches will be on the downswing compared to where they are here. Yeah. So... It also seems a lot easier to push, as far as a sales perspective is concerned, sketches when there's one foil variant and you know exactly what you're getting. Although I haven't seen yeah. any foil sketches in person, I don't know what they actually look like, if they're difficult to deal with. Like, eh, you know, they're fine. I would, ass- yeah. I would assume so. I assume it's not that, uh, like that one desert that was just like the exploding sun. Oh, yeah. That, uh, that was horrible. Oh, in foil. That was so bad. Yeah, the almond cat one. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was buns. It was terrible. Um, Did you have any interesting takeaways from your picks? Uh, no. Aside from the fact that Modern Horizons Two has been like absolutely flat, and the sketch yeah. art seems to just be roping. 
nothing really. Like I knew there was still some volatility around the regular side because people are still buying what they need. So the, that sawtooth that we saw for Thought Monitor and Sarazara's emissary persist. I don't think I brought up looks the exact same. Is kind of unsurprising from the market standpoint. It really is just how flat a lot of those cards remain in the yeah. set. So it was kind of hard to do a deep dive on this, aside from what I've just seen, heard, and experienced as somebody in the space, which is just that like people are still buying whatever's cheapest. There's, yeah. you know, uh, people will try and match play sets if they need to, and then they'll try and match their decks after that. Uh, after, aside from that, without having or talking about like hard sales numbers for the set over the last year, it's difficult to throw out like perspective, especially now that we're so far removed where the uniqueness of mm -hmm. the retro frame and the sketch has kind of burned off. So I think one of the most telling things about this for me, and this was after taking a look at Murktide region, mm -hmm. uh, which is, of course, a Japan card, and also really good in Legacy and Modern, uh, and even sees play in Vintage, which is insane. Uh, the foils on this, so the Sketch foil has a market of $32. The Sketch non-foil has a market of $24. The normal foil has a market of 46 with the normal card having a market of 20 The reason I firmly believe this is the case is literally collector boosters. Here's why. Uh, a breakdown of Modern Horizons 2 collector boosters. One foil etched rare or mythic. One foil showcase or whatever variant printing yep. rare or mythic. One sketch or borderless rare or mythic one extended art rare or mythic so at no point in the collector boosters are you guaranteed a normal pack foil of this card mm -hmm. this was important to me to realize because okay now i understand that with this stuff and this is proof positive it is not about desirability on these it is 1,000% about supply. And so long as we have collector boosters packaged like this, the value exists in the set booster exclusive variants. Because it wasn't just Merktide. It was variants of all the rares and mythics mm -hmm. like that that had your showcase and everything else. All of them followed that same pattern. Which, again, if you want to crack packs for yourself, obviously. Yep. Yeah. No no shame. You, you do it. Right? You go collector booster. But if you crack for value, which is a bad idea and you shouldn't do it, let's not be that guy. Um, it's, it's set boosters. Set boosters are somehow where that value is because of the cards that you can only get there in foil. And that that was, to me, one of the most surprising things because, you know, as we harped on, what's going to be the most desirable? That's going to be the one. Nope, it's literally supply. Desire doesn't matter. It, it's just not there. Yeah, that's, a long, that's an interesting long-term uh, thought puzzle because up front, you know, people are clamoring for whatever they can get, the coolest versions, et cetera. So exposing 
yourself to that chance at a higher rate for hitting, you know, showcase monkeys, for instance, um, that like the CBBs definitely work out in your favor early on. Yeah. But long term, once things become stagnant, yeah, it's interesting to see where the EV lies because up front it was basically like the lands and the monkey. And now, I, like, if we check Dawn Glare, I wonder what if the uh, elementals have moved up. Oh, yeah, fair. Those are also Japan cards. Yeah. So I'm just going to take a look at Standard Modern Horizons 2 real quick. Yeah. It's changed wildly because Scalding Tarn is a $24 card now. So it's yep. Raghavan up front, and then our Elemental Buddies in Solitude, Endurance, and Saga, Tarn, Esper, Sentinel. So like that, that list definitely, definitely changed. And so it becomes an interesting question where you want to make your money in the short term versus the long term. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good and interesting observation that only comes really from looking at the foil. Looking at the non-foils like I did, all I got to see was just volatility in market price and kind of depressed pricing across the board because of like the sheer scale of opening of the set. Not yeah. to say that the tier two cards aren't in demand like we definitely sure, saw yeah. an uptick in thought monitor and persists and sarah's emissary because they were played in decks but not enough to actually move the needle above where we were seeing it which is very surprising yeah so always interesting yeah. picks you ready let's do All it right. uh i think i'm up this week which is fine by me so sure. this week i'm looking at a red edh staple so we're back in that department we're away from green, though, yes. so we're, we're making progress. Yeah, this one only costs one red, so you can play it in your green deck. Yeah. like You play it alongside Omnath, because it's Valakut Awakening. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a green card. That's not a red. That's a green card. It's a land. So, yeah, obviously you play it in yeah. your green deck. Yeah. You know, Valakut Awakening is effectively an instant speed, winds of change, modal face double, modal double face card in MDSC. And uh, it's one I've been watching for, I don't know, seven months now. So uh, back in October, CK was buying 192 at $4.20. There were 303 on the on TCG Marketplace for 414 um, As of picking this, CK was buying 122 of these. Now they're buying 129 um, It was 550 Now it's 5 for some reason. And on TCG, they're 277 unique prices at $7 or more, right? Yeah, so TCG player almost doubles up while CK is kind of just lagging behind. So as far as EDH goes, you know, again, this is, like I said, Winds of Change, which is uh, one of the many wheel effects, as we like to call them, and it's instant speed. So this is incredibly useful and is a core red card, according to Rec. It's actually in the top 15 red cards, period, ended. So this is basically foundational to the color. So... It's an MDFC, right? So the, you know, the power of, it, of an MDFC is that it plays well at all parts of the game, and it leaves them with an incredibly high floor and a powerful front side can make them staples in their given color. So you look at like Balagad Recovery is another good one. That's regrowth, right? Yeah. Uh, costs or maybe it's Ewit. I forgot what it costs, but it's also a green line. So cool, it just slots right in. Um, I'm going to call this a pseudo wheel effect because you are not drawing back up to seven. It's a pseudo winds of change. So you're drawing back up to where you were plus one. 
so as a pseudo wins effect, Valakut Awakening is as close to a staple in red as you're going to get short of literally Vandal Blast, Chaos Warp, and Blasphemous Act. You're not going to yeah. beat those three, but this is so close. So close. Uh, it's plan and theme agnostic, which is great. We joked about green up front. Yeah, absolutely. It's just yep. slots into anything playing red because it only costs one. And again, it's a, a red source on the backside. But compared to Winds of Change and other similar quote-unquote wheel effects, inside and outside of red, an instant speed redraw that gives you an additional card with no discard, quote-unquote downside, is both unique and incredibly powerful. And the other thing is, this is just for you. I didn't know this in my notes, um, but almost every other wheel effect in the game applies to everyone, except for, like, read the runes. This is just for you. Nobody else is discarding their hand. You are just resetting. So this can be utilized by any deck with red, and even if you're a madness-style deck which is why I put the word downside in quotes earlier, you can still take advantage of this card despite not having the synergy you might actually need because you're not discarding them, you're putting them on the bottom. So obviously that doesn't work for madness. Now, I brought the graph up on stocks before and I'll bring it up now. And we're looking at the uh, entire lifetime of this card. But what I'm going to touch on throughout this is actually the five-month period where it just kind of sits flat, essentially during COVID because, you know, people weren't playing a lot of EDH and paper. So in the seven months I've been tracking this, we saw a five-month plateau bookended by growth that places the current price 25% higher than the starting price. So that's $4.14 on TCG to $7.40. As a unique uh, price quantity on the open market, Sorry, as unique price quantity on the open market have been on the decline, CK's buy-less quantity has decreased, yet in both parts of the marketplace that's open and closed, the price has increased. So TCG sale price going up, CK's buy-less price had gone up, which inverted a little bit today. So with CK's ratio of buy price to resale at 55%, we are waiting on the open market to force the final bit of movement. In this instance, I think it's fine as demand looks to be organic and we're seeing steady movement. So 55% basically tells us that CK is not churning a ton of them. They they want to buy as many as they, they can. We see 120. They're moving them at a decent clip. But there hasn't been so much demand that open market demand has shifted to CK to really pull out and make them adjust their buy list. So I don't, ex- I do not expect the market price to maintain the same velocity that we have seen within the last month, leading to a fifty cent increase. But things are coming to a head, and as the open market price closes in on the vendor price, which is also very important, open market was about a dollar below we'll see another adjustment so based on the number of unique price points left before that threshold rises i expect to see the adjustment in about three months so that's really our timeline if we uh, if we were to get in now that would put our out to buy list to profit in early q4 but the slowly increasing market price means that trades are profitable almost immediately though it's a rather small margin i think the thing that really sells me on this card uh it hasn't been out that long Mm -hmm. and it's already a top 15 red card 
And I, I obviously some of that could very easily be recency bias, you know, um, of course. But it is in it is a very impactful card. And I think the thing about the MDFC cards that a lot of people forget about is how good they are in EDH mm -hmm. because they see a ton of play in constructed because of the versatility and because there's ridiculous like people want to build tin fins in every format they can or belcher or whatever so this lets them do yes. that uh but the fact that it has the amount of edh visibility that it does already even you know yeah sure like couple you know three to six month timeline also means if you miss the boat on that that's fine because there are a shit ton of ways for this card to improve long term just because of EDH. Yep. And that makes me want to be a little bit more bullish on this. So, But uh, I, I think it's good. I also think it is the kind of thing that people have in their trade binders now today yes, that are great. Yep. And that makes it a lot easier for you. Sure, it's at a small margin, but you can trade for it knowing that this is more of a long-term yeah. thing if you want to go that route as yeah, well. Yeah, that, that's actually how I look at this um, from a buying quantity. So I've been buying these since basically release because I thought they were just underpriced at like the two and change. And it's a yeah. mix of foil and non-foil because the prices for both of those danced around one another for a mm -hmm. while. And if I had more locals to move this to in trade, I'd be happy to like double up on that quantity. Yeah. But I, I went like I said, with a, at least a dozen early on with the intent to move four or so in trade in time. And that's where I would make my margin right now compared to uh, moving them to buy list. Like, yeah. Cause it's just going to be easier for me to extract that value yeah. that way. And I think to your point, you just hold on to this forever. Like it's not uncommon to still find a wheel effect in somebody's binder. Like, you might not yeah. find actual Wheel of Fortune, but you will see Windfall, and you will see Winds of Change, and, and, and in Binders. And this is just another one of those. And it, yeah, I don't think it's an unwelcome sight, and there are people looking for this. Because the, as far as the front side is concerned, the worst thing that happens is you cast this card and then draw a card. And that's it. And you yeah. just pay three for an instant speed draw one. Like, that's not the worst. Fine. Uh, also, reprint value. It is plain specific, yes. which is nice because we've been to Zendikar like 12 times now, so let's not go back yep. for a while. And please. As far as supplementals go, it's an MDFC. So you've got to have a supplemental that has MDFCs. And I, people keep saying uh, Watsi has come out and said they will no longer do flip cards for Commander. And, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, but for, you know, the last number of years, they have not done that. So here we are. Yeah. Um, I would assume we go back to Lorwyn before we go back to Zendikar now that the Eldrazi problem has been solved. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I do not see this getting a reprint in the next year or two. Yeah. So, I, I like it a lot. Um, I think at this price point, it's real hard to lose. Mm -hmm. so. All right. Speaking of price points. Yes. Uh, my pick doesn't have one. So I'd originally had a pick for this show, mm -hmm. and then some Commander Legends 2 spoilers came out. Uh, we're recording ahead of time. So this episode that we are recording will air the Monday prior to 
the set released for Commander Legends 2. I am so confident in this card that I changed my pick knowing this card wouldn't be out yet. Because you know what? Don't care. Card's going to be insane. Yeah. So I wanted to pick it as a, hey, when this races to the bottom, pick this card up. Uh, and that card is Archivist of Ogma. So what's one thing white doesn't have and everyone always complains about? It's card draw. Well, turns out in EDH, this card will probably draw you quite a few cards in a game. Mm -hmm. uh, for white one, it is a 2-2 with flash. So we're already fine, right? That's a bear with flash for two yeah, mana. Yeah, people played Containment Priest for how long? Yeah. Uh, whenever an opponent searches their library, gain a life draw card. No, no option, no pay one, nothing. Just gain a life draw card. Anytime you fetch, anytime you ramp, yeah. anytime you tutor, anytime you survival, whatever. Every single color has a card or 30 or 100 that will cause you to gain a life and draw a card off mm -hmm. of this. Uh, this is very much like to, to me, this is the closest thing we're ever going to get to good card draw in white. I think it's even better in CEDH than regular EDH. Either way, this card is really good. Yeah, yeah. And I would pick up any amount of copies that I can for under probably three to four dollars. Um, watch our Twitter after the pre-release when we get prices up on this card and pre-orders up on this card. I'll tweet what my actual buy number would be, like what price point under which I would pick it up. Because right now we don't have pricing information. On yeah, this, nobody's. Which is one of the downsides. Yeah, even Card Kingdom does not yet have this card on their website. Um, oh, wait. Nope. I lied. Spoiler list. It is now live for $19.99, which is too much money. Don't pre-order it for $19.99. It's going to be less. Yes. But uh, when release happens and we have that race to the bottom moment, that is when I expect this card is going to be a must-buy. Just incredibly good long-term implications. And that's really all I have to say about it. Yeah. No, I. That's it. I, did, I don't know why I dismissed the card the first time I saw it, but then, like, it got not... I don't want to say spoiled again, but it got linked again, and I saw it later on. I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty decent. Um, there's... There's a term that Richard from uh, Commander Clash used to describe threats like this that aren't overtly powerful, but are so... but are are still very powerful but do not demand the same kind of answer that something like Opposition Agent would early on in a game, so it just gets to live for, like, a little too long. Yeah. And I think that is the power of this card. It's it, it's an amazing card, right? The, the power is not obviously what it does, but the hidden power, I guess, of this card is that it's so non-assuming that it's just yeah. going to live for a little too long, even after people learn what this card actually does in a game, because there will be so many other high-impact cards that need to be dealt with, that this is yeah. always going to accrue value. And I, this is, again, another great example of a commander card where, like, yep, you can just pick it up and move it to your locals at worst. Just pick up a yep. bunch of it and move it to your locals, and this isn't going to be something that I imagine you end up sitting on for too long. Yeah, this should be a a pretty a pretty quick turn. So I I like 
I like looking ahead. I just have pause that we don't have a price on this. Yeah, twenty dollars is not a real price, guys. That is, that's Card Kingdom pre-order. It doesn't count. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, other than that, I, I like it because especially we get we get to hold ourselves to something now. You know, we took a we made a called shot before prices were up, and I think we had the entire. Did we have the entirety of the set? Maybe we didn't. But you know. When I picked it, I don't think okay. we did. Making an early entrance into this, and I, yeah. I like, you know, taking a risk for yeah. something like this. So, I like it. I'm going to enjoy looking back on this and seeing what happens to it. Yeah, should should be good, I hope. Yep. We'll see. So, uh, anything else for today? Nope. All right, so that is it for this week, everyone. We will catch you next week. We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube. You can listen to the audio version of the podcast wherever you can download a podcast if you want to reach out to me i am at halt i am reptar on twitter you are at thirsty sizzler we'll see you next week <laughs>